0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Surveillance Report 51, where we are dedicated to keeping you private and secure with the latest news. This report is going to recap some of the most notable events in the past week. We've got some Google Drive stories that may or may not surprise you. We've got updates on some ongoing stories, and we've even got an interesting tip for avoiding tracking that's... Kind of not really new, but it doesn't get talked about a lot, so I'm excited to share that one with you guys. I am Nathan from The New Oil. This week, it is Henry's turn to be out making the world a more private and safer place. Henry did not give me a promo spot this week, so I'm going to say go incognito because I checked that out, and it is super cool. It's like four and a half hours long, and it takes you from everything you need to know about how to be private, and starts at the very beginning and walks through it all. It's really cool stuff. I highly encourage you to check it out and possibly even consider paying for the paid version because you know there's no ads and you get a certificate and there's quizzes to make sure that you're absorbing the information and all that kind of stuff. It's really, really cool. Highly recommend it. Let's go ahead and jump into the news this week. We're going to start off, as we do, with data breaches. First off, Uh, This one's a little different. We got a couple of them that are a little different than usual 1 million stolen credit cards leaked to promote a carding market So there is a new stolen credit card marketplace that has popped up and part of their marketing strategy to let everyone know about them and cup Check them out is they went ahead and dumped a million credit card numbers for free You know free samples the cards appear to have been stolen between 2018 and 2019 out of the 400,000 cards that were analyzed so far they found that anywhere from 27% to 50% of the cards are still active. That depends on like whose research you listen to. And they found that the top five banks that these cards were issued by are the State Bank of India... JP Morgan North America, BBVA South America, Toronto Dominion Bank, and Banco Posta, who I believe is from Italy. That sounds like an Italian name. The data, in addition to the card numbers, also included names, addresses, and email and phone numbers. So I would say the defense there is use a card masking service like privacy.com or try to pay in cash whenever possible. Our second story comes from New York, where 3,000 students and 100 employees had a they said data leak, I think this is more of a data access, so what happened was a student was able to access a file in Google Drive, and it does not appear that any of this take, any of this data was taken downloaded, or abused, simply accessed The district has added a third authentication factor uh, don 't believe the article said what it was, so you know it could have been uh, maybe like a, a Ubi key or something like that. And a similar incident actually occurred earlier, I believe this year, when a student was on Google Drive trying to find like some homework that they had to do, and they accidentally found their way onto a draft letter about the schools that were reopening two days prior to the official announcement. So yeah, this sounds like tech illiteracy at its finest. People are just throwing things in Google Drive and don't really fully understand how to keep them secured and how to manage privileges. It is no wonder that we have an entire section about data breaches every week when this is happening constantly. Our next story comes from Japan. Japanese manufacturer Murata, who manufactures electronics, has lost or leaked 72,460 pieces of information, which includes more than 30,000 documents about employees and business partners. This information includes company names, addresses, associate names, phone numbers, email addresses, and bank account numbers. And for uh, employees specifically, it includes names, I believe they said phone numbers and uh, bank account numbers. The bank account numbers were the part that really worried me, and that was the part I made notes of. So, employers, man, it it sucks because you have to give them this information if you want to get a job and get paid and function in society, but it also sucks because most of them don't do a very good job of securing this stuff, or they use a third party who's likely to be targeted and also probably doesn't do a very good job. It's just, just be careful what information you give your employer. That's that's really the lesson here. Next data breach also comes with an apology from Chanel Korea. For those who don't know, Chanel is a luxury cosmetics brand. like perfume and makeup and things like that. The leaked data includes names, birthdays, phone numbers, and product purchases. Address, email address, and sex were optional information in, in the profile. So if the customer chose to list that, then that was also stolen. They did not say how many records were compromised, and the vulnerability that allowed for this in the first place has been patched. I will say one of the most salient lessons from this that jumps out at me is just not to put in information unless it's mandatory. Like, you know, a lot of websites don't require a profile picture. They don't require a hometown. They have a spot for it, but it's not mandatory. Don't fill it in. Don't do it if you don't have to. Crytek has confirmed a ransomware attack and customer data theft from the Egregor ransomware. Crytek is a game developer and publisher and this breach took place in October of 2020. The data compromised included first and last name, job title, company name, email, business address, phone number and country. So they said customer data theft, but to me that sounds more like employee information. I, I scanned the article, uh maybe I just missed it, which is entirely possible, but I didn't see any actual like customer data I, I don't know but anyways yeah there there was data stolen the article didn't specify how many records but it happens next data breach is currently ongoing and was also a ransomware attack and comes from gigabyte which is a taiwanese computer hardware company they were attacked by the ransom exx group who are threatening to release over 100 gigabytes of quote sensitive data which includes classified information from american megatrends and amd which AMD, as I'm sure many of you know, they manufacture processors, they're like the main rival for Intel. American Megatrends, I'm not really sure what they make, but I know I've seen computers by them, so I, I guess they make like motherboards and, and firmware and things like that. At this time, there's really not a lot of information, we don't know if the company's gonna try to negotiate or if they're just gonna refuse to negotiate, we don't know exactly what was stolen, but as always, we will keep you updated if and when we learn more. And our last data breach, this comes from Belarus. this this kind of politics but also data breaches so there's a Belarusian hacktivist group called Cyber Partisans. If I understood correctly, I think that's what they're called. And they claim to have performed the largest cyber attack in Belarus history. They claim they have obtained classified passport records for state security forces, leadership, members of the current president's inner circle, and KGB employees. There's a lot of uh, cultural background, I think, that's going into this. Like, for example, the president's status as president is kind of disputed right now in Belarus. But basically, the the goal, according to these these criminals or hackers, whatever you want to refer to them as. According to these guys, the reason they did this is they're trying to expose the current administration's corruption and they're trying to kind of drum up local rage, I guess. You know, they're trying to get everybody to stand up to what's currently going on over there. They have already leaked four passports to show that they're serious and experts are still investigating and verifying to see if these guys are for real. But sounds to me like They were telling the truth, but we'll find out. We will keep you updated. Let's move into company news. And this week, we're going to start with Apple because we have a few more updates with this whole phone scanning CSAM thing. This is something that's going on. And, you know, as we learn more, we're sharing. Apple has expressed a willingness to cooperate in expanding this technology to third-party apps so they didn't really go into detail with that they just kind of said that for example what that means is they could apply that same machine learning that detects iMessage images and blurs them out if they might be sensitive they could apply that to snapchat or facebook messenger for example and they could use that to alert parents this is a little worrisome i I don't want to cause any unnecessary panic or paranoia at this point in time we have no evidence that this is the case But this is worrisome because it does mean that they could apply this kind of technology to, like, signal, or wire, or, you know, whatever your encrypted messenger of choice is. We don't have any evidence of that, so please don't panic, don't set things on fire, don't riot. Maybe riot, I don't know, I'm not here to tell you what to do. But seriously, the point is, we don't have any evidence of that, it's just, it's a possibility and it's something to be aware of. On that note... Apple has emphatically said that they will not cooperate with any government demands to use this technology for surveillance. So if the government comes to them and says, hey, we got this picture of a protester, we want you to upload that hash and push it out to everyone's hash list, they won't do it. Personally, I don't really believe that claim because this is also the same company who built a brand new data center in China specifically so that they can comply with government data laws and be able to turn over user data at the government's request. This is something we have talked about on past surveillance reports. So pardon my skepticism, Apple. I I don't really believe that claim. Those are all the updates we have on the Apple stuff. We're now going to move into Google. we got a couple of Google stories. First of all, some good news. Google will let minors remove their images from search. If you are a minor or you are the parent or legal guardian of a minor and you found their picture somewhere online and you're like, hey, I don't want that online. Google will now allow you to remove that. Keep in mind, this does not actually remove the source image, only the index. So hypothetically, let's say I'm a minor. my picture shows up on a Google search when you do my name, and the picture's from Instagram. Google will remove that picture from their index, it will still be on Instagram. A couple other changes that are part of this, YouTube will change the default upload settings for minors to private. So again, if you're a minor and you upload a video, by default, that video will be private. Safe Search will be on by default, which kind of sucks, but whatever. Uh, that one will actually be retroactive. I'm not sure about the YouTube one, but if you're already a minor who has a Google account, Safe Search will be turned on for you, even if it's not a fresh account. They will also, quote, improve the security of Google Assistant. They didn't really go into detail on that. They will turn off location history by default for minors, and they will be launching a new portal where parents can see what apps follow the family's policy. So Google does have a. Google is still a terrible company, of course, we always have to say that, we're not endorsing Google, you shouldn't be using Google search in the first place, but these are overall good settings, these are relatively privacy by default settings, and, you know, you gotta give credit where credit is due, this is a good thing. Our next Google story is going to be talking about their Nest Cams. Uh, I believe we briefly mentioned this a couple weeks ago, Google has cameras for Nest, you know, they're kind of like Google's version of the Ring doorbell. Previously, you kind of needed a monthly subscription in order for them to be useful at all, otherwise you basically just bought a break. Now they are doing away with the subscription in order to entice more users. So there are now three subscription models. There's the free tier, which I guess isn't really a subscription, but anyways, there's, there's the free tier where you get three hours of locally stored motion activated footage called events. So basically if somebody walks by your camera, that triggers an event and it records, you know, the 30 seconds of them walking by or whatever, saves that. You get up to three hours of those. Activity zones, And image recognition are also local features, so these will still work with a a free tier. The $6 subscription will feature facial recognition, so if somebody comes to your door, it won't just say, hey, there's a person at your door, it'll say, hey, it's, you know, your roommate, it's, we don't know who that is, it's FedEx delivery guy, whatever. It will also feature 30 days, 3-0. 30 days of event footage, so the whole motion-activated, you know, triggers an event thing. The $12 tier features 60 days of event footage and 10 days of 24-7 footage history. Unfortunately, this is probably going to make Nest cameras a little bit more popular, and I gotta be honest, 6 bucks a month, 12 bucks a month, that's dirt cheap. Like, most people pay more than that for Hulu and Netflix and... So yeah, we're probably gonna see uh, more people start to invest in these cameras. And, and especially with the $6 facial recognition, I could definitely see that being a really popular mainstream feature. Ring is not the only one we're gonna have to worry about anymore. We're also gonna have to worry about these. Our last Google story, Google has banned location data firm funded by former Saudi intelligence head. So there's a company called SafeGraph and they are a location data firm. They harvest, quote, extremely fine-grained data, unquote from apps so when you download an app Safegraph has arrangements with all these different app makers that you know hey we'll provide functionality for location data or whatever they just gather up all that location data and they sell it publicly to literally anyone government agencies law enforcement organizations even like the people who wrote this article were like yeah we spent 200 bucks and got like three days worth of somebody's data literally anyone you got a credit card you can buy it google has banned this company from the play store meaning that if your app uses any of their code or has their api or submits data to them you can be removed from the play store personal opinion i think this is just google removing the competition i don't think they give a crap about privacy i think they just recognized hey you're infringing on our data and competing with us and we want that location money get out of my sandbox but either way i I guess that is one less company that you have to share data with so i mean I guess that's the silver lining. Next up, let's talk about Facebook. Facebook has added end-to-end encryption for audio and video calls in Messenger. Again, this goes without saying, Facebook still sucks. We don't recommend Facebook. However, this is, again, just like earlier with the whole Google changing default settings, Google changing default settings and also I think it was last week we talked about how Instagram is like making profiles private by default if you're under 16 or maybe that was TikTok the point is like it's good to see this kind of stuff happening in the mainstream it's not enough but it's a good start this is of course also a metadata risk because just because the content is encrypted there's still a lot of information that you can uh, ascertain without that we talk about metadata all the time they are also adding opt-in end-to-end encrypted DMs for Instagram I really urge you to reconsider if you actually need them, but if you have to use them for whatever reason, go ahead and look into these features and make sure you're using them if you can, because every little bit of protection you can add does help. Let's talk about Amazon. When Amazon customers leave negative reviews, some sellers hunt them down. So that's that was kind of a, an alarmist headline, hunt them down. Here's what actually happened. The Wall Street Journal wrote an article about how Amazon stores will find people who leave negative reviews and contact them directly outside of official channels to try and get them to change the review. And granted, to me, some of these, these messages did sound a little bit uh, passive-aggressive, you know, kind of like that nice family you got there would be. A shame if something happened to him, but I don't know. Maybe that's just because I'm paranoid and, and stuff. But for example, one of the examples they gave is this woman bought a really cheap spray bottle and it didn't work as expected. Instead of actually spraying, it just did a solid jet. So she left kind of a negative review. She wasn't like a jerk or anything. She's, you know, doesn't, doesn't work as I thought it 2.5 or whatever. And then shortly afterwards, she got an email directly from the seller again, outside Amazon. This was not through Amazon's official, like contact the seller, contact the buyer. Like this was a direct email that said, Hey, if we refund you, or like, we're going to issue you a refund. We hope you'll reconsider and change your review. I've actually had this happen with eBay. I bought printer ink on eBay. And a couple weeks later, I got an email directly from the the ink company. Bypassed eBay. It was, again, it was direct. And it was to, I, you know, I use masking email. So I know it was my eBay email. I know that's where they got it from. Directly to, it was like a mailing list. They had signed me up for a mailing list. <laughs> And when I emailed them back and I'm like, how did you even get this email address? I got my account suspended indefinitely for suspected fraud, which jokes on you, eBay. I use a VPN and a throwaway email and a privacy.com card. So I just made new information and I still use eBay. Anyways, privacy matters because that is really creepy that some company can just hunt you down and contact you. It's, It's almost like a flex. It's almost like somebody showing up at your door just to prove that they know where you live. And like I said, maybe I'm reading into it too much. Maybe these companies aren't trying to be creepy and aren't trying to like... Kind of subtly intimidate you. But, you know, what happens when one of these companies does email you and say, like, you know, you better change your review or else. Like, we know where you live. The spray bottle story, the the email even said, if you don't respond to this email, we will assume you didn't read it and keep sending you emails. So, I mean, it kind of is a form of intimidation. It's really bad. Something to be aware of, man. Privacy matters. Our next Amazon story is about sleep tracking technology. Amazon has received approval from the FCC to build a, quote, electromagnetic bubble, unquote, that tracks your body motions while you sleep. And apparently ever since the pandemic, there's been a rise of people complaining that they're having trouble sleeping. So Amazon is saying, you know, we're going to build this technology that can help examine your body while you sleep and possibly help you identify any potential sleep problems and how to fix them and offer you advice. Um, I'm sure a lot of us have seen this in various apps. There's all kinds of apps that if you leave it on overnight next to your bed then in the morning, it'll say like, hey, here's when you fell asleep. Here's your REM cycle. Here's how you can get better sleep, blah, blah, blah. Google has previously announced a very similar feature with their Nest Hub. I know we talked about that a couple months ago. It's just something to be aware of. You know, all these companies are just trying to find more and more places into your life. And I'm I'm sure they do want to do what they say. You know, Amazon wants to make a system that's going to help you get better sleep because if it works, then everybody's going to buy it. And that's more data for them. So I'm sure it'll do what it says it's going to do, but I'm sure it's going to do a lot more that it doesn't say it's going to do as well. All right, next, let's move on to Microsoft. Microsoft has finally fixed their Windows Print Spooler uh, vulnerability called Print Nightmare. We talked about this two or three weeks ago. Basically, it's a uh, vulnerability in the printing. I think it's wireless printing abilities that allows an attacker to potentially get administrative access to your uh, device. Microsoft fixed it. Basically, all they did was that point-in-print capability now requires admin privileges. But don't get excited yet, because just as soon as they fix that one, there is now a new one. This comes from Black Hat. I'm going to quote the article. Threat actors are now actively scanning for the Microsoft Exchange proxy shell remote code execution vulnerabilities after technical details were released at the Black Hat conference. Black Hat, for those who don't know, is this big uh, hacker convention that happens every year in, in Las Vegas. I think it's mostly digital this year because, you know, we're still kind of in the pandemic. People will come in and they'll give keynote talks and they'll talk about all the different cool vulnerabilities they found and research they've done and things we can learn. proxy shell is the newest one that as the article says, was disclosed at Black Hat and it is a a chain together of three other remote code executions. so it's it's a combination of three other vulnerabilities. I don't think that the researchers reported this directly to Microsoft. I could be wrong about that part. And if they didn't, the reason they didn't is because two of these were already patched back in April. So the lesson here is keep your stuff up to date because if you're up to date, Two of the three vulnerabilities required to make this work are already fixed. All right, let's move into our miscellaneous company stories. These are not big tech. Well, I guess this one's kind of big tech. Our our first story is big tech call center workers are facing pressure to accept home surveillance. I'm sure this is not the only company, but the article focuses on this company called Teleperformance, and they work for other companies like Apple, Amazon, Uber. And there's basically just a lot of pressure for workers to embrace work from home surveillance. And it's getting really bad. I know we've been talking about this since the pandemic began. A lot of people are, uh, you know, when people started working from home, a lot of employers were like, oh, you got to install this. It's basically a key logger to make sure that you're working when you're on company time and you're not goofing off on Netflix or whatever. Uh, You know, leave your webcam on so we know you're sitting in front of your computer. Stupid stuff like that. Now it's getting worse because now workers are being encouraged to sign contracts that allow like audio and video monitoring. You know, not just like leave your webcam on. Like you have to actually put a camera in the room and They even like have to sign waivers that basically say that I realize that minors, you know, like my kids might get caught up in this footage because, you know, they might come into the room to ask me a question or something. And it's just, yeah, um, unfortunately, home surveillance under the guise of productivity is just growing. And that's very unsettling. Our next story is about Snapchat and how you can recover disappeared snaps on Android. Snapchat claims that your snaps are end-to-end encrypted and ephemeral. They disappear. Even on the device, they cannot be recovered. Personally, I have it on good authority from an associate of mine, who I trust very much, that that is true. He has told me that if they can't get a warrant or if they can't use a warrant within a couple of days of the snap being sent, the odds of them recovering anything from snap are extremely low. For the record, that's only direct snaps. If you post your story that's not encrypted, they can pull that. Again, they, they can pull this stuff from snap. It's just there's a really short window. However, that appears that that's not true if you have access to the device, which probably shouldn't surprise some of the more experienced amongst us. Even the snaps that supposedly disappear... They remain on your device in a specific directory that's really long, and I'm not going to read it here, but it's in the article. Feel free to go read it if you want to go look for it yourself. Again, this is on Android. They remain in that directory until you actually log out of Snapchat, so it's almost like a recycling bin. Like, when you hit delete on a Windows machine or most most devices, the file goes to the recycling bin, but it's not actually gone until you clear the recycling bin, And and I know that's kind of not entirely true because it's... You gotta run like wiping software and stuff. But it's kind of the same principle. Anytime you put anything in a digital format, assume that it is public and that it is forever. Don't assume that just because the snap disappears that it's gone, it could still be recovered with the right forensic software. And this isn't even really forensic, this is more just a walkthrough of where to find the folder. So, our next story is about the movies. AI can now put your face into a Warner Brothers trailer. There's a new Warner Brothers movie coming out called Reminiscence. I have no idea what it's about, but it sounds like sci-fi, so I'm sure I'm going to watch it at some point. I'm sure it's going to be terrible. Anyways, as part of their marketing campaign, Warner Brothers is allowing you to upload a single photo. Single photo. Just take a selfie and upload it, at which point the AI can digitally insert you into the trailer as one of the characters. This is from a startup company called D.I.D., who allegedly started off as a privacy-focused company by developing technology to protect consumers against facial recognition. And now they're here. In the past, they've worked with another company called MyHeritage to quote unquote, bring dead people back to life. I think we've actually covered this story before because I know we've talked about that. Their next proposed use after this is they want to use it at museums, which I'm not gonna lie. That one's actually pretty cool. It's just one of those things. We know it's going to be abused and we know it's going to be leaked and it's probably being used to train their AI better. It's just, uh, don't do it, man. Watch the movie if you must, but don't upload yourself into the trailer. This next story comes from Privacy International, and it's about a brand of phones that are very popular in uh, poorer parts of the world, like uh, like East Africa, and they're called Techno. This is an issue that I feel very strongly about, and I'm hoping to bring more attention to in the future, which is the idea of privacy as a paid luxury. In many of the poorer parts of the world, cheap Androids are really the only smartphones that people can afford. And I mean, let's be honest, we're living in 2021. Like, if you're one of those people who can actually de completely, good for you. For 99% of the world, that's not really an option. Most people need phones for digital communications, uh, information, all kinds of things. So, you know, just throw your phone out is not a really good solution here. But anyways, in in the article they cite that, for example, Techno has a 47% market share in East Africa, so they've got literally half of the people who have a phone have a Techno phone. Techno runs an outdated operating system. In their case, they are running Android 4.4.2, which is from December of 2013. Yikes. I know we've covered in the past that previous studies have found that many of these cheaper androids come loaded with bloatware like more than usual more than your usual like i bought a phone and facebook is pre-installed and a lot of that stuff will submit even more user data back than a regular smartphone so it's it's literally privacy is a luxury the more expensive your phone the more likely that it is not going to spy on you as much it's still going to spy on you of course But yeah, like if you're buying a cheaper phone, it's going to submit more data. We know this now. There's a really popular phrase that I'm sure most of us have heard. It's if a product is free, you are the product. But again, that that doesn't excuse the idea of privacy as a luxury. If, If this is something you need, like in many parts of the world, internet access is now considered a human right. And if something is a human right, That shouldn't mean that you have to give up your privacy for it. Privacy is also a human right. This is something to be aware of is that we're moving into a world where as privacy is becoming more of a mainstream thing, it's also becoming kind of a luxury that only the rich can afford. And I plan to write about that more in the future, but yeah, this is not good. Let's talk about Netflix. Netflix has intensified their VPN ban, and that sucks. Um, In my experience, Netflix actually used to be really VPN friendly. And this is no longer the case. They've really cracked down on their VPNs because they're trying to stop people from circumventing, you know, geographic restrictions and stuff like that. But more importantly than, you know, being able to watch British shows, which are amazing is the blow for privacy. You know, it sucks that now when I watch Netflix, I can't use a VPN. They have to know my real IP address. They have to know where I live. I just, I don't like it, man. Death of privacy. Our next story is about hospitals. A study has found that hospitals are struggling to manage thousands of IoT devices. I'm gonna paraphrase the article. Most respondents had under 25,000 IoT devices, but some had as many as 50,000. Almost 30% didn't know how many they had and had no way of knowing. That's a horrifying thing to hear at a hospital. Almost half of respondents also said that their staffing was inadequate Quit, and over half were not protected against BlueKeep, WannaCry, or NotPetya, which are super, super famous uh, ransomwares and viruses that malwares that have uh, historically been an issue. So, just uh, I, I think that study really illustrates the danger of IoT devices. And now every time I go to a hospital, I'm absolutely horrified whenever I look at anything electronical and just go, "I hope you are not connected to the internet right now," but it probably is. And our last company story, Norton LifeLock and Avast have merged to lead the transformation of consumer cyber safety. Something something PR speak and whatever. Henry actually sent me this story, and he wanted to share this story because it's a really good reminder that sometimes companies get acquire, or they sell, they merge, they, they do stuff like this, and your data will end up being shared like that. In fact, if you guys have ever read the terms of service or the privacy policy of a company, almost every single one of them says that, you know, if we ever get bought out by another company, we will share your data with them. I expect that. I'm not blaming the company for that. The point is, it's important to be careful who you're sharing your data with because once you hand over that data, you don't have any control what could happen to it. Norton and Avast, I promise you, have not emailed any of their customers to say, hey, we're merging, do you want us to delete your data? No. It's just all combined now. Wicker that we talked about a few weeks ago is a perfect example. They might be an okay service now. They might sell to Amazon tomorrow. And now your data is theirs. So yeah, just beware of that stuff. Let's move into research. Our first story, researchers have created, quote, master faces to bypass facial recognition. This is interesting. So researchers used AI to create nine specific master faces, which kind of act like a, a master key. You know, a master key will open any lock. These nine faces were able to successfully impersonate over 40% of the population that they tested. This, in my opinion, is just another example of how facial recognition is super flawed and very unsafe, and we should definitely not be using it for anything really important like catching criminals. <coughs> or, you know, pretty much anything that actually matters. Uh, yeah, it's just, it's really, it's, it's unsafe. It's not there. It's bad. We should not be using it. Our next story is another uh, IOT piece of warning. An unpatched Kindle allows attackers to take over Kindles and steal money and personal data. There's a researcher for Checkpoint named Slava M. And Slava disclosed a vulnerability in Kindle that would have given an attacker root access, which would allow them to delete data, access an Amazon account, monitor other devices on the network. That one scares me the most and possibly even steal money. Bug was patched on August 6th. So make sure you're keeping your stuff up to date. But again, also remember anything that's connected to the internet is a potential risk. The more smart devices, the more cell phones, the more computers you bring into a house, the riskier it is. Our next story is about passwords, which are not just a problem for adults. Quoting the article, NIST, which is the National Institute of Standards and Technology, I think, surveyed more than 1,500 children ages 8 to 18 and found that, for example, 87% of high schoolers use the same password for everything. Depending on the age group, 45% of high schoolers versus 23% of elementary school kids, many share passwords with friends, which that makes sense. So the moral here, password managers. Get a good password manager. We recommend either Bitwarden or KeyPass XE, but just find a good, legit password manager. A team of researchers with the Cornell University tech team have discovered a new type of backdoor attack that they showed can, quote, manipulate natural language modeling systems to produce incorrect outputs and evade any known defense, unquote. The Cornell tech team said they believe the attacks would be able to compromise algorithmic trading, email accounts, and more, unquote. It is also worth noting that this attack works without access to the code or without uploading any code. So this is... External. What I was going to say before I read that, this is another one of those things where the technical details kind of went over my head. Uh, So that's just like the summary. If you're interested, as always, there are links in the show notes. I highly encourage you to go read those. And our last research story comes from Windows. A security researcher has figured out a way to dump a user's unencrypted plain text Microsoft Azure credentials from Microsoft's new Windows 365 cloud PC service. On August 2nd, Microsoft launched Windows 365, which is basically just a cloud PC. It's kind of like a Chromebook. Um, no, that's not really. It's it's just everything in the cloud. It's like Google Drive. Just put everything in the cloud. They actually offered a two-month free trial, which they then had to shut down because so many people signed up. Uh, well, this researcher, Benjamin Delpy, was lucky enough to get a free trial Before that got shut down and being a researcher, of course, immediately began to poke and prod and test things. Delpy uh, developed a service called Mimicats, which is an open source cybersecurity project that allows researchers to test various credential stealing and impersonation vulnerabilities. So yeah, using Mimicats, Delpy was able to dump his own credentials from Microsoft 365 into a plain text format that was no longer encrypted. Now, you may have noticed I said he dumped his own credentials. The good news is right now this attack requires you to be logged in and have admin privileges. So basically, you already have access to the system. However, the reason this is concerning is because we are seeing a lot of remote code execution and malicious attacks like that that are done remotely. So the concern is that somebody would be able to remotely access your active session that you're in dump your password and now they have it and now they can log in later and maybe even repeat the process with all your coworkers and stuff like that. So with that, let's move into politics. We're going to start off by talking about the U.S.'s new infrastructure bill. I have not read this thing because it is like thousands of pages. But recently in the U.S., the federal government has passed a new infrastructure bill, thousands of pages, and it, it covered all of our infrastructure. So there's a lot to go through. According to this article, there's one that specifically tains pertains to vehicles and privacies. A little bit of background. According to the article, here in the US, eighteen point four cents of every gallon of gas or petrol, as you Europeans know it, eighteen point four cents of every gallon is a tax that the government uses to maintain the roads. Or not, in my opinion. And uh for context, here in the US, uh in my area, gas is a little over two and a half dollars. Uh of course that's gonna vary from place to place, but you know, it's I don't know. It's it's not outrageously expensive. But anyways, um, with the rise of electric vehicles, there is, of course, less gas being purchased. The article calculated that in 2020, there were 1.8 electric vehicles on the road here in the U.S., which means that the government was losing about $174.6 million in fuel tax each year on on road revenue. So under this new law that just passed, the government is piloting a program. Fortunately, I haven't seen a lot of fear and panic going around about here, so I'm not sure if there's any misconceptions we need to clear up but this is a test the government is testing the idea of a per mileage tax on electric vehicles right now this is entirely opt in and voluntary and i think it's a closed thing i think they've already picked their volunteers and it is using both passenger and commercial vehicles there's other caveats like you know they might uh for example commercial vehicles might have to pay a higher tax because they do more wear and tear on the road but anyways the part we care about The data is being collected via, quote, third-party OBD-2 OBD2 devices, OEM-collected telematic information, information from insurance companies, a smartphone app, or any other method that Secretary of Transportation Buttegag considers appropriate, unquote. There is, of course, no mention whatsoever in this law about how the data is stored, the security of it, the privacy regulations of it, what the government can do with it. It doesn't even stop the government from selling this information to other non-government entities. And just to be clear, uh, when they say third party OBD devices, they're talking about like, for example, some insurance companies will send you a device that you can plug into your car that'll monitor your driving habits. Uh, OEM collected telematic information, that would be just if your car has a modem built in and collects that stuff automatically. So yeah, basically they're, they're test piloting the idea of what if we track everybody's mileage and use that to calculate how much everybody owes in road tax now that nobody's buying gas anymore or fewer people will be buying gas. That is obviously a really big privacy concern, and right now this is in the test phases. They may decide that this is not a very good way of solving that problem, but yeah, we'll we'll keep you updated on that. That's what I'm trying to get at. We'll keep you updated. There's Right now it's really early and it's hard to be saying how worried we should be or what steps we should take. We'll keep you updated. This next story is a really quick one. U.S. prisons are mulling AI to analyze inmate phone calls. The title pretty much says it all. They're thinking about using artificial intelligence to analyze phone calls with inmates. The reason this concerns me and the reason I wanted to bring it up is uh, Corey Doctorow has what he calls the shitty tech adoption curve, which is basically they roll out all this invasive technology on the people that quote unquote, nobody cares about like prisoners and, and, you know, foreign enemies in war. And then eventually they move it over and make everyone else comfortable with it. Baltimore surveillance plane that we've talked about this year that originally started in Afghanistan as surveillance on foreign enemies. And then eventually Baltimore was like, why don't we use it to surveil our own city for criminals? So if the U S goes through with this and they start using AI to like transcribe phone calls and stuff for prisoners, I guarantee you it will not be long before we see this rolled out in general and start seeing it everywhere. And you know, first again, first it'll start with the prisoners, and then it'll be anytime you call in, like, you know, your local courthouse, they'll record that call. And then it'll be anytime you call your tech support. And then it'll just be anytime. Our last US story is another one that Henry wanted me to share. The New York Police Department secretly spent $159 million on surveillance tech. This is something that I've kind of ranted about before, but it's a reminder that there's a lot of public agencies out there like law enforcement that don't really answer to the public in any kind of meaningful way, especially when it comes to how they spend their money. They will just, you know, they'll buy Clearview AI, they'll buy stingrays, they'll buy facial recognition of this and that and the other. There's really not much we can do about it. So, This is why it's so important for us to hold governments accountable and to be aware and to know what's going on and to be educated about this kind of stuff, which is why we have a whole politics section. Our first international story will be a quick update. A few months ago, we talked about NOIB, Henry's favorite nonprofit, and how they were going to start taking on annoying cookie banners. In round one of this uh, project... They informed websites, if they found a website, they informed them like, hey, you're not being GDPR compliant. 42% of these websites fixed their issues, one way or another. Either they got rid of the banners or they removed the pre-checked or they made the opt-out button more clear, 42% of them fixed it. In round two, Noib has filed 422 complaints in 10 countries to the companies who did not fix their issues. Here's the fun part. They're still set to file 36 more complaints against companies that actively resisted compliance. So we're talking companies like Facebook and Google who were just like, no, we're above the law. We're gonna do whatever. So again, we'll continue to keep you updated and let you know if we hear anything new. And finally, our last political story comes from... I believe this is the UK, but you know what? I didn't check that, and I apologize. So here's background to the story. There is a board called the Leather Market Community Benefit Society, or CBS, and they are a, quote, community-led housing partnership, unquote, whose purpose is to provide council homes for local residents. They are proposing to build new homes on an outdoor sports court. So I guess they're getting rid of the park, and they want to build more homes. One resident opposes this move, and they claim that, Everybody agrees with him. Like, he's got majority support. This resident was doing a normal Google search with no inferior intent. This guy's not a hacker. He's, he's, he wasn't trying to screw anybody over. Uh, I actually don't even know. The article doesn't specify. I don't even know if he was searching for anything related to this. He He could have been just looking up, you know, when is my local Olive Garden open? I don't know. But anyways, for whatever reason, he was doing a Google search. He found documents from the the CBS meetings. The, we're talking like notes and minutes and transcripts and stuff like that. They were not password protected. They were not marked as confidential or anything like that. They were just normal documents in a Google Drive. So much Google Drive this week. Anyways, shortly after he found those, the police showed up at his door and arrested him for violating the Computer Misuse Act. The board had noticed that somebody had accessed their documents And also, he had shared them on Twitter. Sorry, I forgot to mention that part. He found these documents, and he's like, hey, I I found the meeting notes. Like, here it is on Twitter for everyone else in the neighborhood. So the the board saw this and had him arrested. Uh, The cops confiscated his phone and his computer, held him for a little bit, did a little bit of investigation, Fortunately, he was eventually cleared because the cops were like, there was no crime here. There was no password. He didn't crack a password. He didn't illicitly gain access when he wasn't supposed to. There was nothing keeping him out. There was no kind of indication on the, again, no indication on the documents. Like these are confidential. These should not be shared. Only certain people can access. There was nothing. They were just documents. And he just happened to find them through perfectly legal, non-technical means. But anyways, yeah, the, the reason we're sharing that is just a reminder Privacy matters, you know, and fortunately this guy got lucky and they realized there was no crime. It's stupid. It's a waste of time to be arresting this dude. But we see it all the time that people get have their lives turned upside down for doing things that either they didn't know were illegal or were not illegal in the first place. And, you know, just privacy. Be careful what you do. Be careful what you share. Don't use Google. Yeah, just privacy matters. Be careful. You never know. Let's move into our FOSS section. Mozilla is testing if Firefox 100 user agent is going to break websites. So this is just a really interesting peek behind the scenes of technology. And I think it reminds us that technology is simultaneously often way more complicated and way more stupid than we would expect. Some of you may be too young to remember Y2K. Y2K was actually a legitimate concern. Like, it's kind of become a a pop culture punchline. So what Y2K was, was... Tech people, and somebody can feel free to correct me if I'm wrong, but from what I understand and from what I remember, tech people found out that computers, once the, the internal clock changed to the year 2000, they would basically just crash. Because at the time computers were made, the year 2000 was so far away that nobody was thinking about it, so nobody made computers able to work with the year 2000 and beyond. They're just kind of like, ah, you know, we'll, we'll get to that when we get to that. Fortunately, they found that way far in advance, Everybody fixed it. Everybody pushed out updates. The media, of course, never won to let – how does the phrase go? Never won to let the facts get in the way of a good story. The media ignored that part and just said, like, oh, my God, Y2K, your computer might crash on January 1st, blah, 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 blah. And, like, there was even, like, a really crappy TV movie about, like, planes falling out of the sky and everything. It was so dumb. It was super hyped up. And, of course, January 1st came. Nothing happened except a lot of people had hangovers. And now it's just, like, this big joke. But there was a legitimate concern, and it was fixed. This is the exact same thing. Mozilla is in, in the nightly version of Firefox, which is, like, the super, like, multiple versions ahead of the rest of us. They're, like, cutting edge, testing everything, breaking everything. In the nightly version, they are testing to make sure that once they get to version 100... They're not just going to break all the websites. So again, this is a ways off. I think for most users, we're on like version 91 or 92 or something. Uh, The article actually notes that if you're one of the people using the about config uh, privacy.resist fingerprinting, and if you set that to true, your user agent is permanently locked at Firefox 78. So, you know, you probably won't notice this for a long time. Um, So far, we haven't heard anything. We'll let you know if we do hear anything, if, you know, if there are any breakages, if there aren't, if they issue any fixes. But it's just, again, it's a reminder that, you know, you would think something as simple as going from 99 to 100 Not a big deal, but technology's weird, man, and sometimes the things you don't expect will go wrong, too. On the topic of Firefox, we have two new notes. Firefox 91 has introduced HTTPS by default in private browsing, only in private browsing. Hopefully, they will roll this out to users soon enough and they have also added enhanced cookie clearing which will help to protect against super cookies and this is something we've talked about in the past super cookies are uh, just these really aggressive persistent cookies that are super super hard to get rid of hence why they're called super cookies and firefox is taking action to make those a little bit easier to deal with so that's good news our last couple of releases in the Foss section we have some new releases the tor browser 10.5.4 is now available for windows mac and linux Thunderbird 91 is available, and Debian 11 is now underway of being released. Last but not least, let's move to our Misfit section. First off, an actively exploited bug is bypassing authentication on millions of routers. This is called CVE-2021-20090, and it is a, quote, critical path traversal vulnerability rated 9.9 out of 10, so super, super serious. It affects Arcadian firmware in the web interfaces and allows unauthenticated remote bypass. So basically, it allows people to remotely log in as an admin. Popular brands that were infected include uh, Arcadian... Asus, Buffalo, Telmex, Verizon, and Vodafone, as well as some others. You can get the full list in the article. And the moral of the story here, in my opinion, use DDWRT. Get good routers. Get good routers to get updated, because if some of these routers aren't getting the update, That's a problem. Our next story is about QR codes. We've been seeing uh, QR code scams on the rise and now they're targeting Bitcoins. So I'm not really gonna dive into that one because I mean the basic strokes, like I said, we've talked about this before. QR codes are incredibly powerful. They can really do anything. They can connect you to a Wi-Fi. They can open a website. They can download an app. Like QR codes are really, really powerful and they can and are being abused. So that's really the main moral behind sharing that story. Beware of QR codes. Our next story is an evolution on ransomware. Henry, he finds it interesting when criminals are clever. And uh, in the past, we talked about when we saw the rise of double extortion tactics and ransomware, which is where the ransomware would not only encrypt your stuff, but they would also steal a copy first. So that way, if you didn't pay up, they would leak it. And that was kind of, you know, first they encrypted things, and then people started keeping good backups. So they were like, well, fine, we'll steal the data. So that way, even if you pull from the backups, we'll leak it. Well, now they're evolving again, and they are adding two new pressure tactics, DDoS and harassment. So if you don't pay, they will DDoS your website and take it down and they'll you know, use the data to harass your customers or your employees or whatever. So remember, ransomware, the best defense is prevention. Just try your best not to fall victim in the first place. Don't click suspicious links, use really good antivirus and keep good backups. And our last story, thank you for sticking with so far, because this is one I teased at the top. There is a way that websites track you. This is not really new, but it doesn't get talked about a lot. And it's called bounce tracking. Basically the way this works is when you click a link, your traffic gets bounced through a couple of other websites first. And the reason they do this is because, as uh, as I'm sure a lot of us know, a lot of websites now are allowing you to block third-party cookies, and some of them are even doing it by default. Like, this is common with Chrome, Firefox, Safari, I think Edge does it. Like, it's it's really ubiquitous. It's really common now. Third-party cookies are pretty much dead, I, I hope. it's It's super easy and super common. So one way websites get around that is if you bounce through all these other websites first, They're not third party for that split second that you're on their website, and therefore they get to download a cookie. This is especially an issue with like tracking links. You know, if you click uh, facebook.com slash blah, 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 slash question mark FBCLID equals all that gibberish, 16 lines of crap you don't need that again, that bounces you through all these sites and they get the first party cookie and they still get to track you. The solution here is to use clear URLs is one really popular plugin, but also uBlock Origin. We talked about this, I think last week, they just added two new filters that help get rid of tracking links. These will be very helpful. And of course, nothing is 100% effective. They're probably not going to catch everything, but they're going to go a long way to help with that tracking. And again, this is not really a new way to do this, but it doesn't really get talked about as much as like, browser fingerprinting and canvas fingerprinting and stuff like that so it's important to be aware of that stuff and it's important to take your defenses because those are really easy simple things you can do to get rid of the kind of tracking that you'll never see like again bounce tracking is something you'll never see you don't notice it happens so fast and just downloading these plugins can stop it equally as fast And that was it for this week's report. Again, I want to remind you, this report is brought to you by viewers, and one of the ways that you can support tech lore and therefore surveillance report is to check out Go Incognito. Share it with your friends, share it with your family. Uh, You can even, it's broken up into individual little videos. So if you're like, hey, I think my friend really needs to know more about this particular subject, more about cell phone security or whatever, go ahead and send it to him. And it's really cool, he's got it like color-coded, like his background changes while he's talking, where, you know, if this is really easy, it's got a green background, and if this is kind of hard, it's got a yellow background, and it's just, it's really, really well made. It was totally brilliant. Again, if you want to support surveillance report, go ahead and get the, uh, the premium version of Going Cognito, there's no ads, it's updated faster, you get a little certificate, super cool. Thank you. Again, for listening to Surveillance Report, we're so happy to know that you are trying to stay safe out there. Technology is constantly evolving, and it's tricky, and it's an arms race, and we're trying our best to help keep you at the forefront of it. The last thing we want to ask of you is to share the podcast around. Make sure you're subscribed. If you're on Apple Podcasts, give us a rating. These things really do help. We're trying to reach as many people as possible with our message of privacy, and every little thing, every view, every share, every comment, all of that helps the algorithm say people like this content, and we want to push it out to more people. So... Thank you so much for doing your part. Thank you for listening, and we will see you next week.